Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, March 1st, 2021. How the is it March again? <laughs> On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim tells us about how Disney built the dream and fantasy cruise ships and what we can expect on the next set of ships. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that what doesn't kill you makes you weird at intimacy. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? You know, I had heard that differently, Len. It was what, you know, because again, the, the effort involved in not getting killed, it's what doesn't kill you makes you smell stronger. Oh, yeah, yeah, huh. Which reminds me, I really do need to buy some new deodorant. But anyway, <laughs> going to put that on the to-do list. What doesn't kill you makes you smell stronger. By menin. <laughs> Like you need the little, you need the little uh, uh, song tagline there at the end. Little, that's right. That's right. And smile into the camera. You put down the machete. <laughs> All right, Jim. Let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Emily Ever After, Jonathan E, and Joey Jojo Junior Shabadoo. Rest in power, Ozone. And longtime subscribers C M Folsom, Larry in San Diego, and Eric L. Jim, these are the folks who to this day maintained storage facilities for the Dreamport from the old Journey into Imagination Pavilion at Epcot. So if you ever need lightning or ghostly shivers on a stormy night, electron beams or crystal prisms, these are the people to ask. True story. I wanted to share this with you, Len. I got this. This is a December 3rd, 1982 issue of the Disney Newsreel. And you were mentioning Imagination and Figment. Imagination. Look at this. A chance to buy Figment. What this, this talks about... This is a Disney newsreel, the in-house newsletter for Disney employees back in the day. And they, they talk about the Figment toy. He is the only stuffed animal currently being sold at Epcot Center. Right. And they've proven to be so popular that they've all sold out until January. So, again, yeah. this is December of 82. So, back in the day, they had this run on Figments. And, you know, maybe Larry and Eric have a couple of the, the old ones hidden away somewhere. It's a, it's a good retirement plan. It's better than Bitcoin. There we go. Yep. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, first mm -hmm. news, uh, hours extended at Walt Disney World for the first couple of weeks of March, including 8 p.m. closes at the studios, which I believe is the latest it's closed mm -hmm. since reopening, and 11 p.m. closes at Epcot. So the big thing about that, Jim, is that it's 12-hour days, right? I think Epcot's 11 to 11. Yep. I mean, it's mm -hmm. probably opening closer to 10, but you mm -hmm. get the idea. Mm -hmm. um, and this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it actually addresses a question by our listener, Ned. Um, and then two, it shows that there's demand. What do you make of this? We are definitely marching in that direction. I, in fact, did you see there were fireworks tests being done inside of Epcot? We're getting to that, Jim. Jim, it's fourth bullet point out. Okay, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> What else What else you got on this topic before we do that? <laughs> Are you still hearing the 35% cap on capacity at parks, or has that been bumped up a little no, bit? No, they're definitely still at, uh, at 35%. They would uh, they would mention when they um, when they do that. Here's the interesting thing, though. Mm -hmm. you see, you know, we've got people who are in the parks every day doing, you know, doing research. Mm -hmm. And the thing that they're noticing is that it's now mandatory to share ride vehicles with people who aren't in your group. So like a test track, for example, 
you cannot get your own car for your own group. You have to share them. And that's a capacity concern, right? Same thing at Millennium Falcon. I was about to say, I I think I I saw a member of your team tweet that out. Yeah. So they'll let you do it once, Uh but soon it will not be an option to have your own ride vehicle at Falcon. And again, they're, they're just they're just trying to address capacity issues. There, they're trying to keep the uh, the wait times reasonable, especially at the studios. Like, there's something going on with the studios at Tower of Terror right now, not running at 100 percent capacity. Mm-hmm. There are relatively few attractions there. You know, you don't want everything to be a 200 minute wait. That would be bad. No, no, especially with the stuff that was just announced for the 50. With uh, you know, with that now becoming the centerpiece attraction for that park, which I think is an interesting choice. It is too. Mm. The uh, the other interesting thing about the studios that was just announced was a breakfast at Hollywood Vine. So there are super few character breakfasts in Walt Disney World right now. This will be another one. Starts March twenty second. Mm-hmm. Includes socially distant uh, Disney Junior characters. Also a new menu because remember it used to be a buffet. Mm-hmm. Now it's uh, all you can eat pancakes. Which Jim sounds like a challenge to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, French toast stuffed with chocolate hazelnut spread. So hazelnut, uh, uh, sorry, Nutella French toast. Mm-hmm. Open-faced salmon bagels, four-egg scramble, four-egg cheese omelet, and a plant-based egg frittata. Thanks to the folks over at WW Magic for for that menu. Um, so the interesting thing about this, Jim, is it, mm-hmm. it sounds like it might be a lower price point for this breakfast. Too. I believe the old character breakfast at Hollywood and Vine was $42 for adults, $27 for kids i'm that sounds cheaper we are still talking reduced capacity and also i'm blanking the name of the restaurant that's at the top of the tower at the riviera uh topolino's terrace okay so you've seen footage of the socially distanced character experience up there right yeah, I've had uh, I've had uh, closer celebrity encounters uh, in Hollywood than than that. Yeah. Well, that's it exactly. Mickey moves to the room like he really needs to find the restroom. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that down this end of the building? Oh no, wait a minute, over there. You know, it's like ugh. I know people want to be with the characters and they'll take what they can get at this point. But yeah. is Hollywood and Dine set up for that sort of quick movement of characters? You know, I think the place that has the best character interaction right now is Garden Grill over at Epcot. Because if you think about um, you know, Garden Grill, it's, it's basically like a turntable, like a, mm-hmm. a record player, right? The characters are on the inside circle there mm-hmm. where um, they're socially distanced from everyone else. Mm-hmm. But because the distance from the inner part of the circle to the outer part of the circle that rotates is still not that long, mm-hmm. you still feel close without having to be super close. I think that's the best character meal on property right now. Okay. Well, you know, we've been doing deep dives on the land with our Bandcamp exclusive, the Joseph Mankiewicz thing. So it's it's interesting that that, there, that space was actually built in there and was managed to get to be repurposed like this. I know. And it's uh, and it's still going strong 40, 40 years later. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. To be mentioned, uh, uh, Har- Harmonious, there was some fireworks testing on it uh, this past week. So we're recording this on the 25th. I would have sworn, Jim, at the beginning of this month that Remy would have been open by now. Now I'm hearing mid-March. Yeah. The thing is, like, the, it's finished the test and adjust. Mm-hmm. It's it's running reliably. What's the holdup here? Is it just getting cast members trained? That is an aspect. Also, I, I keep hearing over and over again, the Walt Disney World Resort is relying on Central Florida locals to help yeah. boost its base. And you know, the Festival of the Arts was a good draw all by itself. And it just, somebody was making the comparison to, if you remember, when Mickey's Toontown 
first opened in California in January of 1993, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin was finished. It was done. It was ready to open. They sat on it. They kept that attraction in mothballs till the following year, just so they'd have something to promote in the late winter, early spring of 1994 to get the locals to come out to the park. And the thinking is that we're going to need something to get people to come in in March and April, the locals, because everybody now is doing food festival-based things. Yes. What Disney is doing isn't particularly different than, you know, yeah. than any of the other parks around there. But on the other hand, Remy you know, will be unique. So it's like, drop it then. But I heard the exact same thing that, that you did. You know, it's gone great, test and adjust-wise. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, didn't you have somebody telling you about it? it runs more reliably than Test Track at this point? Virtually, it runs more reliably than virtually every writing app card right now. Okay. I, mean, I mean, it's newer too, right? So, yeah, right. Uh, yeah it's, it is running absolutely fine. There's there's no technical reason why they can't open it. But uh, So it's got to be promotional. The, the thing that I can't figure out is, and I, I believe the market April thing. Mm-hmm. But Disney recently released hotel rates 500 days out, which go into 2022. So they are ready for people to book later in 2021 or vacations into 2022. Mm-hmm. Why not open this at the same time you announce those rates so that people who aren't comfortable traveling now mm-hmm. can at least look at Remy and say, oh, I got to see that when it opens. You know, let's let's book for the fall. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, I didn't get that timing coordination of timing from the uh, from these announcements which if you talk with the folks at disney they keep looking over their shoulders to what's going on with uh oh, velocicoaster yeah you know, and and, and yeah, likewise yeah. you know some uh, the velocicoaster and, and it's kind of a one-two punch of when exactly are things going to reach i forgot about okay so maybe they are waiting for velocicoaster which i believe is also mid-march right well that's another one of these uh, Remy situations in that the walls are down, the planters have been removed, and yeah. you know even as we speak, there are bloggers that have planted themselves outside the gate, waiting for that opportunity to get on that. Ah, uh, so maybe that's it. That's mm. interesting. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I didn't think of that. Okay, so that makes more sense than the sort of like the time the opening around Velocicoaster. That mm-hmm. okay, I get that. Mm-hmm. Final uh, news item, uh, Jim uh, Joe Rody joins Virgin Galactic. Did you see this coming? First of all, I love how, well, I'm retiring. I, here I go, off into the sunset. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> technically you're going into the moonset, aren't you? But he's not the only Disney person that's Yeah, over. he took people from his team, right? There's Amy Jupiter, who's a longtime executive producer at Imagineering. But more interesting is Michael Congalariz, I want to say, the, the president of Disneyland, yeah. who stepped away and became the CEO of Virgin Galactic last year. Yeah, there's year. a pipeline there, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of Disney experience people, and, and the whole notion is that, at least on the Virgin side of things, they want that Disney quality experience. Experience, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the, the notion of that high-touch, uh, yeah. very personal, you know, and everything from your entry point to the training, you know, everything right. that's involved in space tourism. And... Just going to be kind of interesting to see long range who ends up over there. In addition, because think about it, you know, we've had some pretty significant layoffs at Imagineering and people are looking for places to land. And this could be the next big tourism thing. Ah, super interesting. All right. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. I will say I've seen what Virgin is doing with their cruise ships, which is Mm -hmm. a topic we're going to be talking about uh, in the second half of the show. But I'm super impressed with what they're doing around 
cruise ships. So they're they're committed to a quality experience. They are on they land, are. at mm-hmm. sea, and apparently in the air. So <laughs> I wonder, you know, are we still going to get that bag of seven little peanuts? And if so, you know, <laughs> what contingency they made when they start to float around the inside of the cabin? <laughs> All right, we'll keep an eye on it. Mm. Actually, let's do some listener questions. Uh, we mentioned Ned had sent in a question about park hours. He had a second question. It says uh, this, once Disney gets the green light to resume live entertainment, how long will it take Epcot to get its live shows running again? I know the Jamiters and Mariachi Cobra are currently performing in the American Pavilion, but nothing beats taking a 15-minute break to watch the drummers in Japan, a mime in a miniature boat in Italy, or the Chinese acrobats, or a Bavarian spoon band. Do you have any ideas on this? A lot of these performers were part of the the international program and a number of those folks have gone home in a lot of cases it's one of these things where as i understand it entertainment has been tasked with trying to bring some of these folks back and it's it, it's you're kind of in blues brothers country you know, we're getting the band back together and it's yeah. like well <laughs> you know, he's gone back to bavaria the german equivalent of aretha franklin is like you're not going anywhere yeah <laughs> There we go. Yeah, it's a tough situation in that getting some of these acts back, so, you know, and, and more to the point, okay, we can't get that guy, we can't get this guy, rehearsing and getting them ready to come back, and yeah. then, you know, still dealing with the, okay, how do we do this social distance-wise? I mean, travel between most of Western Europe and the United States is still prohibited, right? So yeah. assuming that that gets lifted in the summer, I think the UK mm-hmm. is going to have their vaccination program done by summer. So you know, I would expect, I mean, 2021 might be a little bit aggressive because mm-hmm. you figure that the earliest people could return would be late summer, I'm guessing. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's assuming everything goes well with all the vaccination stuff and that um, Disney's got the money and the crowds come back and things like that. My guess is the earliest you're looking at is late 2021, but maybe 2022 is more realistic. Which actually, the weird sort of way, brings us to our next question. Right. This is from Jacqueline. Uh, Any ideas of when the Disney College program might return? So I think the same thing, Jacqueline. I think um, they'll probably look at uh, summer of 2022. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's exactly what I'm hearing. Literature goes out. Uh, right. In, you got your recruiting. Yeah, right. There's a lot of yeah. in-face in, in stuff. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking summer 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is, is that uh, Disney knows that it's getting significantly reduced labor. So it's not like they don't know what they're getting in the college program, right? So college kids ex- gets experience. Mm-hmm. Disney gets to exploit them through the marvelous tools of capitalism. Everyone wins. Right, Disney's not going to stop the college program. They also have like housing and things like that to worry oh, yeah. about. But yeah. but don't forget, Jim, they're they're building all that new stuff over by um, uh, Flamingo Crossing. There so we go. maybe mm-hmm. maybe all of this comes together, you know, in time for summer twenty two twenty two. That's my guess. Oh, here's hoping. I uh, got an email from Emily who mm-hmm. also sent us a link to a handy refrigerator heater advice mm-hmm. for your outside refrigerator when it's really really cold outside. Thank you for that, Emily. But she, mm-hmm. Jim, she had a, a question for you. So she says, on my trip in October, my friend and I noticed that her name appeared in posters while waiting in the queue for Rock and Roller Coaster and Star Tours. It only listed her and not me. I'm assuming because the memory maker was under her account uh, is why. Mm-hmm. It also listed the town where we're from. I'd love to know more about this technology and how it works, as well as if there are any plans to implement more of it 
throughout the parks. So, Jim, these are the scene ones. Yeah. That, quote, scene ones that Disney was testing a few years back. They're in the, um, in addition to the things that Emily mentioned, they're over at the All-Star Resorts in the lobby. Mm-hmm. They're in the uh, end of the queue for Small World and a few other places. I missed the scene one program so much. I mean, we're getting these little carryovers from, you know, that ambitious program. But do you remember, you know, I, I think the last really big one of size was the scene one that was added for, was it Peter Pan? Flight? Peter Pan. Yeah, there was a whole program in place that, that was going to do this, was going to create additional queue space. But I think, you know, the hard lesson of what they learned from uh, the Haunted Mansion scene one, where in the end, it's like, yes, it's amazing sculpts and wonderful technology, but people, especially in Florida, were just sort of like, can I get inside the building? What I'd appreciate here is a fan. There we go. There we go. And, uh, you know, so... When people spend so much time on their phones, it's really difficult to, to build well, something that can that's, that. Honestly, that is it exactly. It's kind of bizarre because on the second half of the show, we'll be talking about the Disney Cruise Line, but there's a... I, I forget the Imagineer that was telling me about theme park attractions are like cruise liners you know they take you know three four five years to get built and by the time you go from we're in the room and they've just greenlit it to when you take down the chain and people can go through the queue the fact that in that relatively short period of time things like people did start to get face down in their cell phones and yeah you know, and just in the notion, would you please look up and look at the wonderfully themed queue that we spent so much time on? And it's like, well, well no, I want to touch base with my family because they're, you know, we're coordinating where we'll meet after this ride. And I don't know that you'll see many more scene ones like that with personalization. If you no. do, yeah. I think it'll be tied to something that's clearly ready for social media, like mm-hmm. something that looks really good on Instagram that's also personalized. And I well, think- now remember when there was that plan to the effect of the way they were going to engage people with their phones is was they were going to have the equivalent of a game you played in the queue, and if you won the game, yeah. you got to step out of the queue and immediately go in the ride. And they, there was the Play Parks app, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know that that ever caught on. No, no. Because at that point, Disney's competing with 10,000 other game makers, mm-hmm. and that is a super difficult space to compete, it's interesting. I heard I heard this this sort of analogy, mm-hmm. like if you're um, if you're making any kind of app other than games, mm-hmm. the strategy is to make one app as good as you can. If you're making games, the mm-hmm. strategy is to make as many games as you can. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Okay, all right. So we'll see what happens with the uh, scene ones. But uh, Emily, I, I don't know that you're going to see. Uh, many more of those, especially anytime soon, given the budget constraints. I just got to feel bad that it's like, my friend's on the poster. What about me? We're from the same place. It's like, yeah, that's, that's strange. I think that, that part might be random. Like okay. I've, there've been times where I've been with Laurel and mm. you know, her magic band gets picked up instead of mine. So everything that we see the entire day is hello, Laurel. And it's like, I'm here too. And then, you know, other days it'll be the exact opposite. And it, I think it just depends on who's closer to the reader, the uh, RFI, the magic band reader at the time. Yeah. All right, here's a uh, question from John. With Disney releasing the pictures of the new costumes for Mickey and Minnie, does that mean we should expect character meet and greets to return for the 50th? Kind of like the costume meet and greets for Mickey's birthday. I, you know, by October, mm. I think that's aggressive. I don't, I don't yeah. think so. No, I think yeah. again, you'll see that in 2022. Now, again, you got to remember well. this outfit was designed years ago. Years ago, yeah. They have to to walk it out along with their new projection mapping thing for the castle and, and the like. 
Did you see that, you know, really the only way they identify that, that it's the 50 is that Mickey is wearing a pin that like two inches by three inches? It says 50 on it. Yeah. yeah and it's just sort of like, yeah, that that's going to be a detail people are going to really pick up from the caravan rolling down, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mickey, point to that. All right, Rumi, hey, you're here for the 50th. Look at my lapel. Yeah, the, uh, the parts of the costumes were fine. I, I, there were supposed to be like a, a nod to fireworks. Yeah. In the costumes as well, and I thought that was a stretch, but mm. fine, fair enough. Okay. All right. Laura, who is from England and describes herself as a working-class northerner, sent in a handy timeline showing what to call English meals depending on when they fall during the day. Jim, i got to say this is the most useful – I love all of our emails. Mm. This is the most useful email I've gotten in a long time. So she actually did a presentation, a one-page mm. presentation. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Laura. And it's a chart going from morning to evening. Uh, so a summary of English meals. The first thing in the morning is breakfast, followed by late breakfast. Then there's coffee time, which Laura says is more often used as a time reference than a meal. <laughs> Example, I'll be around at coffee time. So I asked Laura about this. I said, where do 11s fall in? And she said, that's not really a thing where she's from, mm-hmm. but coffee time and 11s is about the same. Okay. Uh, okay. Next comes brunch, mm-hmm. then early lunch. Then lunch, which is also known as school dinner or slash dinner time, Mm -hmm. which is a hot meal at school lunch break, Mm -hmm. or a packed lunch, which is a cold meal brought from home, Mm -hmm. or Sunday lunch, which is obviously only on a Sunday and usually consists of a roast dinner. So I think I knew that. Mm -hmm. If you're having having Sunday lunch, it was always a roast dinner. I got that. Mm -hmm. The next thing is afternoon tea, which is mid-afternoon sandwiches and cakes. Not to be confused with... Tea time or tea, which is later, which is an earlier evening meal, usually for families with smaller children. There's also dinner, which is also known as tea time or tea for those who don't follow the above rule, or supper for those who don't follow the below rule. And that below rule is the last meal of the evening is supper, which is a light snack before bedtime. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 different possible meals that we know of so far. And of those 15, uh, given again that, that Nancy is a snuggletarian and won't allow me to eat meat, does anybody's having Sunday lunch anytime soon? And if it involves a roast, call me, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my, my other question to Laura is this. So she mentioned that she's a working class northerner and this is what she calls them. So my immediate question was, do people who aren't working class have different names for these things. Oh, like man. does the queen call these things diff- something different? <laughs> okay, well, anyway, we'll, get back to me if, if uh, any, any member of the royal family yeah, we'll, listens to the we'll, show. We'll just get that second podcast up out of the ground soon. Gonna, <laughs> English, I got a voicemail from a friend of mine who lives in the UK who explained for two minutes yeah. <laughs> what, the, right. what they were. All right, English dining chairs with Len Tester will debut shortly, folks. Hang in there. This, so, this British right. minutes, I think we're gonna, it's going to be a little segment of this show. There we go. Uh, all right, Mindy sent in a survey that she received from Disney after a recent trip. Um, a couple of interesting things here, Jim, and I think this is where they're. We talked about this on a previous show mm-hmm. where we think they're baselining responses for when uh, Magical Express ends. Mm-hmm. So the first interesting question Mindy got was, "Where were your accommodations located?" And the, the choices were the Walt Disney World Resorts. Disney Springs Resort, uh, Lake Buena Vista or the 535 area, mm-hmm. International Drive, US 192 or Kissimmee, Flamingo Crossing or Western Way. Again, Disney's mm-hmm. doing a lot of development over there. 
other Orlando area outside Orlando, or I don't know. Hmm. You say you don't know. How are you getting home? That's my question. <laughs> like literally, that should be the next question. Like, do you need a map? I left a trail of breadcrumbs. What do you want <laughs> from me, Lance? <laughs> We've unwound this spool of thread. It should be go. fine. I'm more intrigued by the fact that, again, this is a Disney-produced survey, and it actually put Flamingo Crossing and Western Way below International and 192 Kissimmee. Yeah, it's not alphabetical either. No, no. I wonder if they rotate those uh, those orders. I mean, the fact that it's, it's there is interesting too. Mm-hmm. The next question though, Jim, mm-hmm. super interesting. And we've seen this a couple of times, but not mm-hmm. on every survey. It's, are you or was anyone in your immediate traveling party a grandparent? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, again, remember, you know, that us baby boomers, disposable income, you know, just yeah. the, the whole notion yeah. of, that. oh, grandpa, would you buy me the overpriced plush? Oh, all right. In fact, have you seen that Disney has actually created television ads that, that hype the notion of take your grandchildren to Disney World? Oh, I, yeah. It's, a, uh, it's one of the uh, six or seven specific mm-hmm. target demographics that Disney markets to. One of them okay. is, is definitely grandparents. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to figure out here the base or the size of the market. And also, if you so if you think about Magical Express, right? Mm-hmm. One of the advantages for grandparents of Magical Express is you don't have to drive on I-4 in Orlando. No. Right? No. So no. if they see that their share of the grandparent market drops mm-hmm. once Magical Express goes away, I think mm-hmm. that's something that they'll definitely want to reconsider well especially with the it, it's the and again i'm dating myself from from when it used to be called the beeline but have they they now factored in that that express toll thing that was running down the middle i mean it was hard enough negotiating that road before they put the express lane down the middle i don't i don't think it's fully operational all the way to the disney exits yet i know that there was um, so the last time I was over by Universal driving mm-hmm. back that way, mm-hmm. it looked like it was almost ready to be open. But I love the idea. Don't get me wrong. And I would, mm-hmm. I would do it. In that particular section of I-4, mm-hmm. adding more things to, for drivers to think about yeah. is, is frankly a scary proposition. No, right? that's a, you, you've just gotten off the plane. You've just gotten your bags. You've somehow managed to get to, to, to your rental car place. And, and you've you, got to like exit to the left to get on it. The, <sighs> the express lane's in the middle of the road. It's yeah. just not yeah. – yeah. It's not something that most people are going to be thinking about. And yeah, so I haven't done it yet. No, for, for locals, it's a great thing. But again, you know, when you you have a largely tourism-based economy, it just... It's, yeah, you're in a rental car you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of transportation, the next question on Mindy's survey was, by what mode of transportation did you do each of the following? So for everything that Mindy said she did, mm-hmm. for example, go to a theme park. And ask her this question. So for uh, as one example, Mindy said she went to the Animal Kingdom. Disney's question was, how did you get mm-hmm. to the Animal Kingdom? And the, you know, the responses were Disney bus, mm-hmm. a non-Disney bus, Disney's minivan service. Uh, by the way, Disney, I've got some news for you. Give me a call. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I was about to say. It's like, you know, if somebody said, yes, I took the minivan. And it's like, <laughs> I boy, the, some bad news for you guys. Yeah, the yeah. 60s were good to you. You know, just sort of like. Uh, a personal or rental vehicle, a taxi, a non-Disney ride share, like an Uber or Lyft, mm-hmm. dropped off by friends or relative, I walked. Mm. Like, I walked to the animal kingdom. <laughs> hey, okay. okay. And then uh, next question, did you or anyone in your party participate or visit any of the following during your trip? Bush Gardens, Kennedy Space Center, Legoland, Disney's Boardwalk, mm-hmm. the beach, so the Atlantic Ocean of the Gulf of Mexico, play golf, play miniature golf, 
uh, tour a non-Disney vacation club or timeshare, mall, outlet mall, or shopping center, or wedding. And again, I think this is this is a, this, again, this is a baseline of like, if we're not going to provide transportation to keep people on site, mm. where else are they going that we're losing to? The next question after that is, mm. what was your primary means of transportation to the state of Florida from your home? Air, auto, train, bus, RV, camper. And then based on that, Mindy answered air. Mm-hmm. What city did you fly into? Orlando, Tampa, St. Pete, Miami, Sanford, Jacksonville, Daytona. Have you ever flown into Daytona? It's the scariest airport I've ever been to in my entire life. <sighs> okay. No, Tiny. Tiny. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. West Palm, again. Sarasota, didn't even know Sarasota had an airport. Fort Lauderdale, which is a great airport. Melbourne or Tallahassee. I mean, Tallahassee flying into Florida is like saying you flew into Alabama. Yeah, jeez, okay. Um, Did you rent a a car or van while you were in Central Florida? Um, And then a couple more interesting questions. Which of the following elements did you purchase together as part of a package? That is multiple trip elements at a single price. Mm-hmm. So airfare, rental car, hotel reservations, Walt Disney World tickets, Universal Orlando tickets, SeaWorld or Discovery Cove tickets, other tickets, or I didn't book anything as a package. Hmm. And then there's the same question for how did you purchase your Walt Disney World ticket and where? Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting because when they asked the where did you purchase this ticket, mm-hmm. the number of choices goes on for two pages. Like they want to know exactly where you got the tickets from. Why are they interested in that? Again, remember, we're in this weird pandemic recovery period, uh, coupled with the fact that we've got the 50th anniversary coming up where so many of Disney's plans are are, are now in the hopper because it's different from the way they they planned things to be back in 2017 and 2018. So right now, if you are in fact coming, where are you getting your admissions material from? Because we need to refine our plans as we head into the October, November, December timeframe, which is now where supposedly, you know, we'll we'll see the the march, so to speak, back to, to normalcy. But... This is weirdly, weirdly specific. 30 oh. different choices mm-hmm. on there. And we know, we've talked about this on the show before, that mm-hmm. Disney uses certain things like third-party ticket outlets mm-hmm. as a way to provide discounts on admission that mm-hmm. they don't present to the general public. Mm-hmm. They know that like you know, 90% of the people who come to Disney World will pay the gate price, mm-hmm. and they're not especially price sensitive, so there's no point mm-hmm. in offering a discount to them. But for those people who are sort of on the fence mm-hmm. or who will go if they think that they're getting a deal – the third-party outlets allow them to allow Disney to provide a discounted ticket, which gets those people in the door, mm-hmm. which minimizes the amount or maximizes the amount of revenue that they're making. The ticket broker makes a little bit of money. Everyone's happy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a way of getting that incremental market share that uh, they wouldn't normally get without a discount while still maintaining their bottom line. But this, yeah, this land is super, 30, super you're going to get to go. Military, city pass, reserve on Google Redeem, you know, got it from Lefty in the parking lot. I mean, it's yeah. just sort of like, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, conferences, stuff like that. And it was super interesting. All right, folks, we're going to take a, a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim gives us the history of the Disney Dream and Fantasy cruise ships and what's coming up. So slap on some sunscreen. We'll be right back. Jim, I can think of few things in life that I will do as soon as this pandemic is over mm-hmm. before I get on a cruise ship. I am so looking forward 
the first time that I walk up a gangplank, plop my bags down, mm-hmm. and ask someone to point me to a uh, to a sun deck and a drink. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, before we get started here, of the four that are currently in the fleet, do you have a favorite Disney cruise line ship or? Uh, the fantasy. So I like the um, mid midship detective agency, mm-hmm. the Muppets thing, mm-hmm. um, and I think the bars are uh, are better mm-hmm. um, than on the other ships. I like the I like I like big ships. Like mm-hmm. I like a bigger ship. And I cannot lie. I like big, <laughs> I like big boats, and I cannot lie. It's like it's a song that Laurel and I sing every time we get on Disney a Disney cruise ship. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, saying that, I spent seventeen consecutive days on the on the Wonder once, and I loved every minute of it. Wow. Um, but that was a back-to-back mm-hmm. Alaska, Hawaii. So that was a special thing. Like if I'm in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. I want to be on a very big ship. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Well, right now is a very tough time to be a Disney Cruise Line fan. You know, I mean, and, and the weird part of it is Disney's own in-house, you know, surveys show that the folks who, who frequent the cruises are among the most dedicated and passionate Disney fans. In fact, oh yeah, eighty-five percent of the people who experience a Disney cruise line reportedly book another trip on that line within three years' time. I mean, and that beats the and, and Disney charges a premium. I mean, those those are do. expensive cruises. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I forget who was just pointing that out. The effect of if you you price a Carnival cruise versus a Disney cruise, the price difference was kind of shocking. But let's face it, the boats have basically been out of commission since mid-March of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, last Disney cruise to leave port was the dream. It left Port Canaveral back on March 13th of last year, which which for me is a little on the nose, Len. Oh, Get Friday on, the 13th Friday, in March? Yeah. But that was a three-day sailing to Castaway Key and back. And if you read the news accounts back in March of last year, it's like, you know, it's only going to be to the end of March. And we only <laughs> eight cruises are going to be affected. And you know, here we are, eleven and a half month uh, months later. I mean, mind you, the vaccines being rolled out. You know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but because cruise lines is a global operation with the ships sailing in and out of ports of call all around the globe, yeah. it just can't go by how the United States is, is now handling the pandemic. I guess they can right. take consideration. I mean, just think about the each of the islands in the Caribbean is a sovereign nation. Right? They have their own. <sighs> yeah. They have their own protocols for these things, yeah. But that's the thing. As of Wednesday, February 24th, Disney Cruise Line announced that of an abundance of caution in the best sense of our guest employees and all sailings through the end of May have been canceled. And Not a surprise. Yeah. Uh, and didn't, that, that affected some of the early, was it Alaska cruises? Oh, yeah. The Alaska ones yeah. are a heartbreaker because they had a stop in Canada. And Canada yeah. currently yeah. has a rule in place, Len, in regard to the pandemic that any ship with more than 100 passengers can't dock at a Canadian port till February 28th of 2022. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, at least that's what's temporary. I mean, you know, the Great White North isn't in screwing around in regard to, to coronavirus. So Alaska is is up in the air for conceivably into next year. And, and we talked about this, too. The interesting thing about it is, mm-hmm. is the way that cruise laws mm-hmm. in the United States are. You have to have an international stop. Mm-hmm far enough away from the United States Mm -hmm. so that you're not using the ship as transportation from one point to another Mm -hmm, in -hmm. the U.S. So so those Canada stops are basically a requirement if you want to comply with U.S. law. Now, I understand that uh, the cruise line had actually asked for a waiver for this from the previous administration and Mm -hmm. was denied the waiver. So it'll be interesting to see if the current administration will allow that. So much right now is keying off of that things are in flux. But at the same time, 
Uh, you think about like all these all these small cities in in the towns in Alaska uh, that depend on cruising for yeah. you know basically all of its revenue. Yeah, you know, yeah. for them to go two years without money coming in, that's that's harsh, man. That's harsh. You yeah, got to help them somehow. Yeah, yeah. I, you know. Well, to be fair, Cruise Line's been very forthcoming about this. It's it's offering people who book trips full refunds or credit to get a chance to rebook these trips further on down the line. So long story short, yes, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, the COVID-19 tunnel. The problem is we don't know how long the COVID-19 tunnel is, Len. So now let's just look at a happier time, uh, which was February 2007, which is when the Disney Cruise Line initially announced that they're going to be expanding the line by adding two additional ships. Right before the financial crisis. <laughs> See, and that's what fascinates me. Because you, you know, here's the thing, Jim. The next time Disney announces they're going to expand the fleet, yep. I'm going to find a bunker. <laughs> Yes, yes, because the, the, Laurel start start filling the bathtub with water. Laurel Disney's announced <laughs> You know, just sort of run down and get get some hardtack and some graham crackers. You know, that's, exactly. Um, exactly. But yeah, that, that's the weirdest part is that you know you always have to discuss the Disney Cruise Line story with what's going on in, in the real world. I mean, face it. Disney Cruise Line existed as a corporate entity for 11 years at that point in February 2006. It was, okay. it was incorporated uh, back in February of 1996. In fact, you'll love this, Len, when it first incorporated in the fine Disney World tradition of don't use your real name, they'll price gouge you. It went into business as the Devinson Cruise Company. Sure. With their corporate, you know, icon, Mycroft Mouse. You know, just a, <laughs> no relation. But anyway, uh, Disney Magic has its avo- uh, maiden voyage in July 30th, 1998. And The Wonder has its its maiden voyage August of the following year. Uh, it's a hit right out of the box. And, and for me, clearest demonstration of that is it came in early 2002. And remember, right after 9-11, people are still afraid to fly. Disney World is dealing with this reduction in demand by shuttering various resorts and doing, you know, yes, we're changing all the soft goods at Port Orleans. There's no reason at all that we're closing it other than that. On the other hand, during the same period, demand for the Disney Cruise Line remains so strong during the same period of time. This is when they go from three to four day cruises on the Magic and the Wonder to yep. introducing seven day itineraries and, and the Western Caribbean cruises. And so it's a success right out of the box. The company dearly wants to expand the fleet. But given that the Magic and the Wonder each cost $350 to $400 million to build and that in 2003, priority one for the company was establishing a foothold in China. In fact, ground broke on Hong Kong Disneyland in January, uh, January 12th of 2003. Thinking of the company is like, that $1.8 billion project has to go first. But once Hong Kong Disneyland opens in summer 2005, absolutely, you know, we will fund your new ships. But then November that same year, 2003, Roy E. Disney resigns from the Walt Disney Company. For the next two years, the company's in turmoil as a result of issues with management. By September of 2005, Michael Eisner is out as CEO. Uh, in fact, one of his very last uh, official duties was opening Hong Kong Disneyland. And Bob Iger's in as the new CEO. And Bob has different priorities than, than Eisner. Priority one is making sure that some other studio in Hollywood doesn't get Pixar, because Disney and Pixar are on the outs at this point. So he has to come up with $7.4 billion dollars to buy Pixar, and they do that January 5th, uh, 25th, 2006, which is why, you know, and again, company coffers are now empty. And so right. turns to the cruise line folks, and it's like, look, 
next year. Absolutely. Next year, you can order your new ships. Another mitigating factor here, though, is that the cruise line wants far bigger ships with the next two ships. They want to accommodate more guests. So uh, just to, to give you sort of a baseline here, the Magic and the Wonder, which maintain a crew of 950 people, they can accommodate 2,700 passengers in 875 rooms, which are scattered among 11 decks. Whereas the Dream and the Fantasy, the cruise line envisioned those ships having 14 decks. That would allow them to accommodate 4,000 guests per sailing. 50% larger. Yeah. There we go. And you have, instead of, uh, what is it, 875 rooms, you have 1,250 rooms. But at the same time, you need 1,250 crew members to take care of all these guests. So 11 decks versus 14 decks. The Magic is 984 feet long. The Dream and the Fantasy are 1,115 feet long. Yeah. A fifth of a mile. Yeah. More than a fifth of a mile, yeah. Yeah. And the Wonders and the Magic at its widest point are 106 feet wide and the Dream of the Fantasy 121 feet wide. Yeah. They, uh, I think when they were built, they were pushing the limit that you could get through the Panama Canal with, the width or the length. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah. But again, these all seem like you know, they're tiny little numbers. And, you know, the 106 versus 121 and, you know, that sort of thing. But it's tonnage, Len. You know, the, the, yeah. the Dream and the Magic are uh, almost 84,000 tons. Whereas the dream and the fantasy are 130,000 gross tons. It's a big ship. And big ships cost big dough. So remember, Magic and the Fantasy were 350 to 400 million uh, to make yeah. back in 96, 98. The dream and the fantasy, when they're being built 15 years later, they wind up costing 900 to 950 million a piece. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that I, yeah, I tell people now. Like mm. any modern cruise ship is going to be a billion. A billion plus. Easy, yeah. easy. You know, in fact. A billion to a billion mm-hmm. uh, more, yeah. Yeah, now now remember, okay, so finally, after they acquired Pixar, February of 2006, Disney Company announces two more ships being added to the fleet. Uh, initial design begins at that same time, and, and building on the lessons that have been learned at that point of nearly eight years of continuous operation of mm-hmm. the Magic and the Wonder. But at the same time, Disney spends $7.4 billion to acquire Pixar. So it's like the Imagineers who are working on the Dream of the Wonder, it's like the Pixar characters have to have far stronger representation on these new boats, which yeah. is why... Push, push the characters. Push the characters. Yeah. So that's why, for example, uh, Turtle Talk with Crush, which was introduced as a guest experience at Epcot back in November of 2004, that gets reinvented as a key element of animators' palette at the, the Dream of the Fantasy. Yeah. But where this gets really challenging is August of 2009. 19th of that month in the shipyard over in Germany, they're laying the keel of the dream. 12 days later, the Walt Disney Company announces that it's buying Marvel Entertainment for $4 billion. This is August yeah. 31st of 2009. Len. Jump ahead to the fantasy makes its maiden voyage out of New York in March 31st, 2012. Seven months later. Although Walt Disney Company buys Lucasfilm for $4.5 billion. And I bring this up because you got to remember that the cruise ships are not like the theme parks. You know, it's not a question of, oh, well, okay, we just bought Marvel. Well, luckily, we have land behind the universe of energy. Where yeah, there's we, no land behind the cruise ship. That you, no, can, that's uh, exactly. you can just add on to the t- <laughs> you know, Every inch of a cruise ship. 
you know, is, is, is designed to either. It's engineered. Yeah. yeah. Every, every inch of a cruise ship is, is used yeah. for something. There's no empty space. So that means the only time you get to revisit space and do things significantly is when a ship is headed back into dry dock from, or from maintenance. You know, and even then, because, you know, typically you only get a three to six month long window to do that because yeah, these, it's a lot of time for this ship to be out of, out of uh, circulation. Yeah. Yeah. So at least when it came to Star Wars and Marvel, the, the temporary fix for this was Star Wars ASC gets, in, gets announced on February of 2015. Super popular too. Yeah. yeah but the, the weird thing for me, Len, is they announce it in 2015, but it only begins a, a full year later, February 2016, which again tells you what's different about the way people book cruises. Yeah, people book. So the traditionally, the best way to get a good deal mm-hmm. on a cruise fare is to book the day the cruise fare is announced, mm-hmm. which is typically a year or more in advance. Wow. Okay. So you yeah. you you have to be ready to pull the trigger. Yeah, you have to know because then uh, so Disney and Royal Caribbean mm-hmm. have really gotten away from offering last last minute deals on cruises, and for Royal, it was a an explicit part of their pricing strategy that they announced, I believe, in 2018 or 2019, where they said, look, starting a year from now, mm-hmm. we are not going to offer last-minute deals. The best deals that you get are going to be when you book the day that things come out. And we saw within a year, mm-hmm. Disney adopt the same pricing model, too, because we track rates for every Disney cruise, for every cabin, on every sailing, every day. Mm-hmm. So we're able to look at those price trends. I would love to have some info about what inventory gets left in a situation like that. I'll I'll look it up because we we'll talk about it in the next on the next show. But um, I can tell you what what if there are discounts, what typically gets discounted. It's typically the um, not uh, the middle of the road. So like the very expensive cabins mm-hmm. get picked up first. The very cheap cabins, like the inside staterooms, mm-hmm. Category Elevens and whatnot, those get taken out very very fast. It's usually the stuff in the middle hmm. that's left over. Fascinating. Okay, so on the success of uh, Star Wars Days at Seas. October of 2016, Marvel Days at Seas get announced. But again, yeah. same deal. You know, they announced them in, in the fall of 2016, and the program won't actually begin until October of 2017. Yeah. I bring this up because in August of 2019, that's when the cruise line announced that they're going to be adding three new ships to the line. And then the first yep. of which, in a pre-COVID world, was supposed to begin operations in 2022. December of 2017, Disney Company announces it's going to be acquiring certain aspects of 20th Century Fox. They don't actually complete the deal till March of 2019 for $71.3 billion. Wow. So in 2009, when Disney buys Pixar, Disney leans heavily on the team that are designing the dream and the fantasy, the fact of you will include Pixar elements. The folks who are you know, working on those other three ships were told on no uncertain terms that Fox is going to be part of the ship, and that means National Geographic. But the interesting thing is this is going to be – these three ships are the first ships that are going to be designed for a Disney company that owns not just Fox and National Geographic, but also Star Wars and Marvel from day one. These are going to be yeah. you know, parts of these ships, let alone Pixar in the, in the classic Disney characters. Oh, yeah. you got to think the stuff that, uh, that Disney is looking at for uh, like the, uh, the Star Wars hotel, mm-hmm. some aspects of that yeah. make its way onto the cruise ship. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's, – these ships coming up are, are going to be fascinating. What's been particularly terrifying for the folks – at the cruise line is you, well, you think about the, you know, the poor employees who are 
you know, how many months were they on the boat while, you know, while it was like, yeah. hey, we're not going to have cruises till the end of March. Did I say the end of March? It's May. Oh, April, April May. Yeah. And eventually <sighs> they had to, they had to sail them back. Yeah. But they basically sailed around, yeah. you know, the Caribbean. And there's, you know, some of them are getting called back, right? So mm-hmm. when they went into dry dock, mm-hmm. some crew members got called back because they were, I think they were using the hotels mm-hmm. as, uh, sorry, using the cruise ships as hotels yeah. for the maintenance workers mm-hmm. on the dry dock. So rather than having to go home every night, you know, you could basically work in shifts and get it done that much faster. So they called that crew to basically run the cruise ship as a hotel to service those people. So now yeah. I remember we were talking like two and three months ago about how they were supposedly going to do the cruise tied to a dock instead of a test to, to get the ship up and the, running. Uh, yeah. So the CDC is definitely going to want that to happen for everyone. Okay. Um, the process is you'll do a cruise that doesn't leave the port. So you simulate the onboarding process, the temperature screenings, the health checks, everything. And then without the ship leaving the port, you run two or three days Mm -hmm. just like it's a normal cruise. So you do the dining, Mm -hmm. you do the entertainment, you do everything that you do with CDC people on board to monitor those processes. And assuming everything goes well, Mm -hmm. the next step is you do the exact same thing again, but you sail the ship out from shore to do it. Again, CDC is on board, you make sure all the processes work. And so on. If there's anything that needs to be addressed, mm-hmm. you start the process over until you get it right. But then once you've completed both of those steps, mm-hmm. um, you're free to cruise again. That's how the CDC, I believe, is said so that they were going to um, reauthorize cruising in the United States. Now, remember when we were talking about this two or three months ago, you and Laurel seemed quite eager to take part in this. Laurel, not so much. I would I would get on a cruise, yeah. Okay. Uh, so would, yeah. Is, is this still the thinking? That you're gonna oh, yeah. I mean, I think at this point, um, I'll have my vaccine before cruises start up. So that's, that's not going to be an issue. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I would wear a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd wear two masks. I would follow all the cleaning procedures. Mm-hmm. I would get vaccinated if that was required. But before and those are minor things to me mm-hmm. uh, you know for the enjoyment of a of a cruise ship i mean there's something there's something about being in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. surrounded by a billion dollars of luxury hotel that floats mm-hmm. where you can eat anything anytime you want I, i'm okay with that yeah you know, I mean, that, it sounds good to me i, I, I have to admit that you, you make it sound very tempting yeah. but again to circle back to what Dr. Fauci was just saying, it, he still thinks that mask wearing is going to continue even with the vaccine well into 2022. So, um, yeah, going to be interesting to see what happens cruise line wise, going to be interesting to see what happens in the park and going to be interesting to see if when we ever get close enough to Mickey to, to hey, what is the deal with that badge? Does that say 50? <laughs> what is that on your clothes? I just I need to see it closer. Yeah. yeah so. Can't wait for all of it to happen, Jim. Can't wait. Same thing here. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including the single best podcast episode we've ever done. We present the earliest known version of Epcot's American Adventure script with real actors, real music, and real special effects. Uh, That should be out this week, right, Jim? Should be up right now, in fact. Only at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Com. On next week's show, Jim tells us how Disney made the Tower of Terror's drop sequences reprogrammable. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, lettittouringplans.com, assuming this, I don't get arrested in the next five minutes. <laughs> We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's calling the square dances online this year at this year's New England Folk Festival, starting at 6.30 p.m. on Friday, April 23rd, 2021, and running through Sunday, April 25th. For more information, visit neffa.org. 
While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.